You're listening to the UI podcast by the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. I'm extremely honored to be able to speak on India. My name is Atika Chona. I live in New Delhi. I've been working for Swedish companies for about 17 years, and I've helped them to enter the market, establish, operate, hand them back to the company, and move to the next uh, to the next opportunity to help a Swedish company to start. In the last eight years, I have been working with Six Year Plan as an advisor and uh, as uh, the managing director for India. And uh, what we do is we help uh, companies to build their businesses, uh, uh, you know, get up to the political headwinds and uh, the changing uh, customer preferences. We, uh, we work with large uh, industrial companies in India, power sector, defense, automobile, mining, so uh, the larger industrial setups. So a lot of my reference points come from there. Uh, what, and I have to thank the esteemed panel before, uh, before us, which uh, actually laid the ground for how relevant India is to the European Union and how it is growing at such a fast pace. There is opportunity for... Uh, for further development, as always is, but uh, it, it's a market that is attracting uh, a lot more attention than it ever has. Uh, what we have done is a report, which you will get uh, before you leave here today. Uh, what I'm going to do actually is talk more about now what's happening inside India that is making India more interesting for uh, for investments and business opportunities. And what is really both the, the development, but also then the challenges that uh, exist today. Uh, we have a very dynamic prime minister. He's actually helped to put India on the global map. Um, prime Minister Modi, he was here in April and had a very warm welcome from the Swedish industry as well as the Swedish prime minister. He came into power. He had a roaring victory in 2014, which is not something we have seen for a very long time in India. Uh, he came with a promise of transparency and efficiency, which is much needed in the Indian business. And India actually did not vote a new prime minister, they voted a change. They wanted to have uh, both efficiency as well as transparency. The, the general perception was high corruption, was that things don't work, and that needed to change. Uh, and. Uh, with that promise, where we see uh, ourselves today, and we, uh, I bring now to the table the, the Swedish companies that we work with and that operate in India, their opinion as well. We see that India's, as the panel before said, that it's you know, the fastest growing economy in the world. It's pegged to be the third largest incremental growth driver uh, by 2030. Uh, and it's not just the jury's out, it's been consistently growing for the last decade. So it's not just this government, it has seven, roughly 7% 7 growth every year. And it's looked at being, at continuing. Uh, what we also see is that um, FDI, liberalization has helped companies to bring in money. And uh, that has also helped, uh, you know, industry to go. There has been platforms, there's been engagement uh, opportunities. The Swedish companies have a positive outlook. They believe that it's a good market, the investments are giving results, and the investments are going to continue to give results. One of the big things that has happened in the last four years, or I think the biggest things we've, we've seen after independence is a reform, is a real shift in reforms. And there's been, um, and, and you know, the reforms have been in two ways. One of them has been pretty sporadic, you know, un, uh, unexpected. One morning, 2016, November, 86% of the currency was taken away. And that was, it came as a surprise to everybody, the same day as Donald Trump became prime minister, the president of the United States. So it was kind of a blow to every Indian from so many different dimensions. Uh, and that was chaotically implemented. However, the general public saw that as a positive move. They actually saw that this is going to help with ending the black money or the corruption that's in the system. If that's happened or not, the jury's still out. It's, one sees shades of positivity, one also sees shades of the fact that we're going back to the same uh, traction. 
GST, one of the, uh, there's also been a lot of structured reforms that are specifically aimed at long pending issues that we see in the industry, in the corporate world. GST, uh, the for one tax system all over the country has been something that Europe doesn't even imagine doesn't happen in the rest of the world, but it was how it was in India. And that has really helped to build efficiencies, to build, uh, uh, you know, to, to bring down costs of uh, distribution. One example would be, we used to see a row of like a hundred trucks before a toll bridge before, which also then makes, you know, if it's the food industry, food decays. So you have wastage in the system. There is, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, inefficiency in the fuel efficiency of the, of the vehicle. So just besides GST, it's had long-standing uh, results in it. GST is at the early stage of implementation, one would say. If you look at the corporates, they are still battling with uh, you know, the structures in place to be able to, to see GST have a final result it should give. There's a shift in energy, there is, uh, uh, there's uh, e-governance, digitalization that has brought 316 million Indians into a new banking system, which didn't exist. They have ATM cards, they have accounts. There's been a prime minister's effort to actually, it's called the Jandhan Yojana, which actually allows for uh, people to get accounts and to come into the system and to then finally be a taxable individual, which is today 4% of India pays taxes. And that has gone up 10% after the demonetization. And that is going to further develop once uh, this reform is completely implemented. There are uh, banking systems. There is a new uh, uh, forum for uh, insolvency, which also then improves the relationship between uh, public, private, and players in the market. There's platforms. There has been Make in India, Smart Cities, uh, Clean India, various platforms, and those are platforms that you engage with the government on. Have they had very structured systems? Maybe not, but they have actually had results. Going from these far-reaching reforms and you know, this transformational ambition that the federal government has, what we also see is that in the quantitative studies, we see that uh, the business, doing business report this year moved India 30 places up in the ranking. However, the, tran the uh, transparency report uh, brought three digits down, three places down in the ranking. So there is a dichotomy between, you know, it's growing from a business perspective. However, the challenges are not going away. We went in to actually see how the ambitions are relating to the reality we saw Reports from Ernst & Young, their fraud report, which says that 78% of the companies will invest, yet the challenges continue. Swedish Chamber's uh, Business Climate Survey again says the same thing. Companies invest, they see returns on their investments. They are seeing that they will f further invest. However, they are still re 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 talking about the same challenges. So is the ambition actually turning to reality? To be able to see that, how businesses are actually getting, in, getting impacted by this, we did about 15 interviews with Swedish companies that operate in India, the large, uh, the leading companies, and we got some results from that. Four large things. There's a contrasting approach between the center and the state governments. What companies are saying is that the federal system, the national system, and here I have to clarify, when we say national, federal, or center, we mean the, the national government. And under the national governments are all the state governments that individually uh, operate. And that's a complexity in itself in the structure. Having said that, the complexity is that these large reforms have the opportunity to be interpreted by the states in the way that they think suitable which can both go in a very positive, but it can also go in the very negative, because a state that doesn't have a progressive approach and that is fighting more smaller things than larger things, for them, this transformation is too large. They haven't really understood what it will take to shift to, uh, to the new India that you know, Modi has promised. We also see that bureaucracy is open. 
uh, in the federal system. We see that they are uh, keen on uh, understanding the challenges of corporates. We see that they, they also then are uh, accountable and they are making policies that support businesses. Then when you come down to the local level, the municipality, for example, does that, does that reform really translate into a good implementation strategy? That we yet have to see happen. And that's where a lot of companies give examples. I would share an example with one of the large companies I work with. They brought in a transformational mobility solution to India. And the mobility solution is actually addressing multiple issues. It addresses waste management. It converts waste into fuel, which then addresses the waste issue. It brings in uh, environmental mobility solution, which then ensures that the pollution, which is a big problem, is addressed. And it also brings in a new industry type and a new transformational you know, system, which, which actually then becomes, makes a city smart. And that was actually in line with the vision of the national government, the national minister. He actually wanted that to happen. And very early on, 15 days after he was in government, he al allowed for that pilot to be set up. However, three years later today, we're running into efficiency and transparency issues at the ground level. We see that that transformation has not been understood. And it, the implementation of that is actually a challenge. And that's, you know, that's unfortunate because industries from Sweden always bring disruptive innovation into the market. They always allow for India to leapfrog into the future. And that is so well understood by the top level of the government. So hard to explain to the ground realities. And I think that shift has to happen. So if I just uh, kind of, you know, there are, you you will get a copy of the report. It actually has examples from pretty much all the companies we've interviewed. They have been bold enough to say, to give us examples of what's happened in their businesses. That actually uh, is an example which actually relates to what we're talking about. Having said all of that, they still think that India's the uh, the market outlook is very positive. They still want to invest. They still want to build businesses. They still think the, the size of the market, the opportunity in the market, the fact that it allows for the development uh, within the companies. I mean, companies are setting up pilot projects in India that are lighthouse projects for the company, irrespective of where in the world it is. And that's, uh, you know, they see that opportunity. And that opportunity primarily comes from a very uh, hooked-on uh, federal system. Uh, I have a couple of statements. We, we had IKEA, which is one of the biggest things that's happening in India, not just from the Swedish business, but from businesses per se. 9th of July, they will open their doors to the first store. That investment will continue with a store every year for the next 20 years, which is large which is large for investments in India, which is also then large for transforming, in, transforming you know, a whole way of living. Uh, and that's kind of a big shift that will happen. And they, they actually, what they say is that we want the government to stay. We want with the next upcoming election that there is a stability, that it doesn't shift because we want to see all these reforms implemented. We want to see the result of it. What we got from... Uh, Ericsson, one of the companies that has been in India over 100 years, they are actually for the first time saying that this is, there is a reform that's given us results. It used to take us 21 days to distribute, today it takes us four to five. And that of course encourages better prices, you know, it takes away delayed delivery pen penalties, it takes away, you know, it brings in customer satisfaction, it generates business. So they've seen the first shades of GST, they're positive. We have uh, Tetra Pak. They are one of the largest food, process, food uh, packaging companies in India. And uh, they have also been in India for over 70 years now. And they actually said that they are working with a waste management project. And they said, when we go to the political level of the national uh, platform, perfect. They work with the policies. They actually bring us to the policy discussion, enable to have policies that actually work with waste management. However, the state governments that they have worked with specifically have 
reconstructed that reform. And, and that, I think, is, with that, I actually say that that's one of the big challenges that India faces right now. It's an opportunity to transform. The fact that everybody in the country understands that opportunity still continues to be a challenge. With that, I actually invite our panelists. Uh, Johan, the only gentleman on our panel today. <laughs> Johan Hemmingsen, that represents SEK and AKN, and actually works with Smart Cities, which is one of the Modi ambitions. Uh, Ulrika Sundberg, who is the Consulate General uh, in Mumbai, for, uh, and you know, one of our strongest partners, both from the industry side and the government side, from the Swedish diaspora. Jenny Eklund, that lives in Sweden, works with banks in India, is responsible for South Asia, based out of Stockholm. Uh, works for, to, represents SEB, the bank. Uh, thank you so much. And I'm sorry that I'm just flying through this, but I want to give the audience the opportunity to have questions. And hence, I'd like to give you a few minutes to give your elevator pitch on uh, your, uh, whatever you'd like the audience to know that is relevant to our discussion today. Yeah? Shall I start? Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Johan Henningsson. I mostly represent SEK, uh, but also EKN, because Sweden has an export credit system that is sort of devoted for financing exports, and it's very important for Sweden, of course. Uh, and um, SEK, we have lending in uh, 70, 70 different countries in the world, Africa, South America, Asia. We have not had so much uh, lending in, in India. Uh, we have some, but it has been a little bit problematic. So, uh, ver very interesting uh, report, I think. How do we take this from ambition to business? And uh, when we do that, financing will be a, a very, very important issue. And also in the financing issue, we need to cooperate with India, of course, to make this happen. We see a lot of things happening in, in uh, India. And there, there are great opportunities for Swedish environmental, not to say the least, yeah. know how to actually make a difference in India. We, we know, for instance, uh, district cooling. They don't, you don't know that in no, India no. yet. Mm -hmm. uh, we know how to uh, create uh, energy from waste. Mm -hmm. So when we go to India and say that Sweden actually import waste, they don't believe us. It's like, uh, what do you talk about? Uh, so we have uh, history and we have the knowledge that we really can export. Uh, so at SEK, uh, we think uh, this platform you mentioned about Smart City, that is an excellent opportunity for us to actually both uh, talk about viable business models, which of obviously is very important for us when we finance, and for EKN to guarantee. Uh, so the problems and the challenges that we face right now and that we are working on is on a municipality level is exactly what you say. It's like it is a state ambition, and you can't really see how that would sort of happen on a municipality level. Uh, at the same time, we need some success stories. So we're trying to work with some uh, municipalities where we do think these uh, sort of ambitions are transforming into reality uh, and try to make success stories about that. Uh, when Modi came to uh, Stockholm, that was a few months ago. Yeah. April. Yes, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> then EKN and SEK, uh, we made a promise to actually put uh, $2 billion on the table. I thought that was a little bit too much, maybe, <laughs> but uh, $1 billion would have been enough. But we have $2 billion on the table. And we have just started to sort of think about how can we actually make them work in India, because we know that India, as you said as well, that uh, the, bank, the banking uh, sector has had a problem with credit. So there is, financing is needed to make this happen and to make this transfer in Swedish knowledge exporting to India. Two billion for 1.3 billion people. That's yeah. not a lot, Johan. No, no, come <laughs> on. <laughs> I let uh, Ulrika. Yeah, um, thank you so much, Atika, and it's great to be here. Um, your presentation I fully relate to because I think that's my daily reality. I sit in Mumbai, and the main task for the Consulate General is actually to accompany the companies in trying to make headways in India, but also to attract 
Indian interest for Sweden, and that means also Indian investments to Sweden. Uh, I think you highlighted all of the reforms that we feel has instilled trust in, in the companies. We did, um, we, we have a, con a constellation called Team Sweden, which basically consists of the embassy, the consulate general, uh, the Swedish Chamber of Commerce, and Business Sweden. And we do a yearly business climate survey. We did one this year, and of course we can see the figures translating into a very positive outlook. 70% of the Swedish companies feel that things are moving in the right direction. They subscribe to what IKEA sort of said, we want political stability. Let's be fair, some of the reforms that have been implemented now were actually launched by previous governments, but were not taken to this sort of operational stage, uh, but they are happening now. Um, what they also say is that they still face challenges. And of course, when you address the center, you get a certain positive discussion and an understanding. And I'm going to pinpoint particularly at something called DIPP, which is the de Department for um, industrial policy. For industrial policies. Um, but when they come to the state level, and there are 29 states, I sit in a state called Maharashtra, which is probably one of the most advanced, together with Gujarat, and who are really loyal to the center and trying to implement what the prime minister is saying. But then you have other uh, states where they are definitely not willing to implement as quickly or for practical reasons or for political reasons because they might belong to a different political party. Mm -hmm. uh, the things that we spend most of our time on is skill gaps. Uh, it was mentioned before that India has to create one million new jobs per month. Uh, that is a real challenge. Making India is part of that strategy. But we see after four years that, no, we're not creating one million new jobs per month. So what do you do with all of these youth? Uh, the other one is, of course, uh, facilitating uh, the, administra uh, the administration. Uh, so that goes to trying to move to a sort of e-governance or e-economy. That is online applications to cut out the middleman because, of course, the middleman provides opportunities for bribes or fees. And also trying to move the formal sector into the informal sector into the formal by having e-payments. Um, that is slowly but surely actually making way. Demonetization was a rough way of jump-starting that process, but you do see that in increasingly people are paying with digital payments. Uh, but the infrastructure for IT is not in place fully. So there we have disruptive actors uh, who are trying to both provide the infrastructure and, of course, become a dominant part, uh, partner on the market like GEO, they offered free data and, uh, and, and services for nine months. They went from zero subscribers to, th they're up to 300 million now. And of course, they are forcing a consolidation on the telecom market. Um, infrastructure, I pointed to. Women's situation and women's participation in the labor force is an untapped resource. I'll come back to that. Uh, someone mentioned labor conditions. Still a very difficult subject to, to address. And I would really like to point out that even though we believe in India, we don't really see it translated by Indians themselves. So we don't see the Indians investing in their countries. And that is, of course, a dichotomy that we might want to have in the back of our mind. Mm. Um, I'm going to stop there for now. And okay. Jenny? Mm? Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Jenny Eklund, and I work for SEB. I'm based, as Attica says, here in Sweden. 
and I cover um, Southeast Asia and South Asia, of which India, of course, is a big part. Uh, I'm responsible for the bank relations in India. And uh, why do we work with banks in India? It is, of course, because we want to, to, uh, in, to um, have an in infrastructure in place for the companies, our home market clients. Our home markets are in the Nord Nordic countries as well as the Northern Europe um, and UK. So uh, we get in a lot of uh, interaction about India at the moment because it's, this is uh, on top five of the agendas for many of the companies now because of the hype, I would say, around India and the tremendous growth that you see and also uh, the rebalancing of uh, China, actually. And um, we have, uh, just to give an outlook, what you have in India, uh, I looked at some numbers. You have 27 state-owned banks, so-called public banks. You have 22 private banks, private sector banks. You have 44 foreign banks present. You have 56 regional rural banks. You have 1,600 1, urban cooperative banks, and you have 94,000 rural cooperative banks. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no lacks of banks. Um, what uh, what I came come across when I mean we have presence in in Asia. We have branches in uh, in China. We have branch in Hong Kong, Shanghai. And we have a branch in Singapore. In India, we have a representative office, meaning that we do not have a balance sheet in India. We don't lend directly to Indian companies or, or, no, or home market clients in India. But we work together with SEK and EKN, of course. Uh, and what we facilitate is uh, also, once again, an infrastructure, a framework. Uh, to lend to projects or to export uh, enhancing um, <coughs> loans for India. And um, the, the, the challenges that you see in the banking system at the moment is except for f frauds, inefficiency, red tape, i.e. bureaucracy, uh, I think that the banking system remains one part big part of the economy that still needs to be deregulated and also to be um, to go through the efficiency phases that you that so is so needed for India uh, I mean I work on the more or less on the plant floor here we have the everyday issues and when you talk to corporates I, I saw the investigation here when you talk to corporates most of the problems that they have at place in India is um, issues about uh, know your customer uh, or just setting up an account or getting your payments through and so on. So um, we are in a way exposed to that and we try to, to give advice to, to corporates and we try to help them through our, our representative office as well. And um, I think I stop there because we get into some other mm -hmm. specific questions mm -hmm. later. Thank you so much. And um, we have now India is important to Europe. India is a very relevant player in the Asia context as well. It's uh, the macroeconomic stability. The indicators are showing that there is stability. There is, uh, there is room for growth for uh, industries. There is, uh, however, the realities are complex. There is multiple opinions. There is some parts that work well, some parts that don't work well, some things that, um, you know, reports are showing that some reports show that the fraud system is perceive, perceiving that the corruption is reduced. Industry is saying that that's still a large challenge. Uh, so everything kind of, when you put it in a framework, least said, uh, Shada said that too, it's, it's complicated. It's complex. However, Swedish companies are investing and will continue to invest. So, and one of the biggest platforms that I view actually representing industry from Sweden that works in, operates in India, is the platform of smart cities, because there is where Sweden really has uh, an offer, which is strong. It has an offer to really, you know, reform that, uh, that area. And that's also where industry is putting most of the effort today, because there is an opportunity to, uh, to, to build industry and have like single window clearances, because the government is on board with that discussion. Uh, having said that, I also know that from all aspects, the least the finance aspect, 
there are huge challenges. And uh, we haven't yet, when we go to India, when we read reports, it's like Japan took over five cities, um, uh, America took over seven. Uh, so, you know, com countries are coming in and taking over a city because Modi's ambition is to build a hundred smart cities. And they actually are ensuring that there's industry set up to, uh, to actually ensure that those cities become smart. We have heard that, we have seen uh, feasibility reports, we haven't seen it on ground yet. And that actually means that there are challenges. So here's my question, how, does, how, how do you view the whole smart city opportunity in India? It's complicated. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> no, I think it's, uh, we have been working uh, not for too many years, but uh, I mean, uh, maybe a year uh, with uh, trying to mobilize financing for this. And um, I think uh, two things uh, might be uh, sort of uh, uh, something that we think a lot about. And the first thing is, is scale, really. Um, uh, Indian want, want everything in large scale. And, and Sweden, we come with sort of a pilot, and they don't want a pilot. <laughs> they want it, the solution uh, done. Uh, so we have, um, I think, a little bit of a mindset we need to uh, uh, change. And if uh, Sweden as a country, as many export companies at the same time, uh, if we uh, will be able to actually deliver something that, that uh, Indian wants in scale, uh, we need to cooperate on a, on a corporate level. Uh, so what we're talking about is system exports. So you give an offer of a system, and that, that are many companies involved in. So Sweden need, needs to learn about that. And then the other part is, uh, uh, is about uh, uh, cooperation. Uh, because uh, it's one thing to do this in Sweden, and I know that there are a lot of export companies actually sort of uh, being Ericsson for 100 years in, in, in India. Uh, but it's, it's different, because if we want to transfer knowledge uh, it's new to make it in a, an Indian context. So we need collaboration. And we need collaboration with big, large uh, construction firms in India. Uh, so, so they really can do a lot of, of, work, of the work and, and sort of uh, hire in the Swedish expertise. And we also need collaboration on the financing side. So we try to sort of have a discussion with big, big banks in India but also uh, with SCB and, and other sort of Swedish banks, we need to go together and, and make a financing offer that is actually working. We've just started. And the $2 billion, which is a lot of money, um, that could be a, a good vehicle, actually, to, to maybe leave the municipality level, because the, the, the project that we might uh, want to finance could be small, but we want the state level to be engaged. So we sort of... Um, get this ambition to become reality. Can I just uh, add sure. to this? Uh, I mean, w this is uh, very boring for you, just to f for me to explain in banking, but uh, what we look at, look at is different kind of risks. We look at the project risk. I mean, wh what will happen in the project? Uh, we look at counterparty risk, uh, who is going to repay and where is the money coming from? We look at political risk uh, on the state level and also on a national level, of course. And uh, I mean, potentially, if there is a change of government, how will the um, how will the next government react? Will they be more uh, populized? Uh, is this uh, in line with the with the big plans they have for the country, or do they have to redirect in accordance with their uh, voters? Uh, so it's quite complex to enter into a country where you don't know what is going on underneath. And th this is particularly for, for India, I think it's, it's a, a, a huge challenge. Um, and uh, that's why we, we put in place uh, capital uh, funding and go together with IKEAN and SEK that has a state-to-state -state, uh, interaction with India and can also uh, affect more um, to get the right kind of information and inside information, of course. But what we also have done is that we have, um, together with uh, a German development agency, JIZ, we have performed a number of seminars and uh, workshops where have we have tried to um, knowledge transfer green bonds 
Uh, and green bonds is a, a loan uh, where you package um, projects or real estate, for example, that are certified by a third party uh, of being sustainable. Uh, and uh, you put that into a portfolio and you can finance that and you can uh, attract investors that need to have green financing or green investments in their portfolio and potentially also customer and customers, I mean private individuals that want to invest in funds, for example, that are certified as green. And that is one part that we see as possible for, for, for states or cities. Uh, they don't have a credit, they don't have an international credit rating, for example. So that's also one more part that we look at when we do lending in, in, in these countries. So um, we think that uh, to, to transfer the, the green bond knowledge uh, or framework into India is one part of, of um, improving other types of financing than the traditional ones. And one should also not forget that Indian banks today, if you look at the whole banking sector, they have more than around 20% 20, 20 of non-performing loans, meaning that um, there's not much new lending being performed. Mm -hmm. And uh, this will be helped by the new bankruptcy code, of course, uh, which will uh, shorten the, the time for, uh, for settling the loans or, or rescheduling or, uh, and, and, and really get uh, to the table the, the, the borrowers that are not performing and potentially sell the bad assets and get on with new lending. So today you have kind of, if you look at the project finance lending, it's really halted because of this. Mm -hmm. So we see, and this will take time, it will take a lot of time. But I think for India, it's crucial that they get the, the, the balance sheets cleaned up in the banking system as a whole. Smart cities. I've been spending quite some time trying to figure out how we can keep up competition with Japan, the US and France who actually adopt cities, full cities. And they come in also with their development corporation agents, which we can't and won't. Uh, but of course there are certain cities where we have a bigger footprint than others. And one of them is Pune, where we for historical reasons have been present since the 60s and, well, late 50s and 60s, we have about 100 Swedish companies. Uh, most of them are in the manufacturing sector. And of course, they have created a footprint over time. Uh, so uh, I think one of the things we have started with is first to explain that when our smart cities, like Hammarbyskjöstad or Norra Djurgården, that's not going to see the light of day in India. Mm. What we are going to do is some sort of refurbishing of existing cities, existing uh, infrastructure. And we can introduce end-to-end -end solutions, whether you call it systems or end-to-end. -end. Uh, and we can do it in sectors. Mm. Transportation, waste management, water treatment, and uh, I feel that with the um, strategic inno innovative partnership that we signed when Prime Minister Modi was here, uh, we have sort of an entry point uh, where we can actually try to introduce like district, well, not district heating, but district cooling in maybe an area of Pune mm -hmm. and sort of create a positive experience share our best practices, and then it can be amplified. And, and from there, we'll take it from there. Because of course, there is some seed money. Obviously, you're willing to take some risks on it. And what strikes me is when I, when I approach Indian banks about smart cities, they all say, well, nobody has come with a proposal to us to finance. Yeah. So obviously, if we can get this right, I think there is an opportunity. Um, also on the waste management. We had a competition at the Consulate General um, for young Indians to visit Sweden. And our question was, what would you bring to, uh, to, bring to Sweden uh, as a present if you were to get travel to Sweden? And then I received a big picture of a guy behind a big pile of waste. And it's like, this is what I'm going to bring <laughs> to you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, thank you for, uh, for really reconfirming the opportunity. And uh, I come from your remark, uh, Ulrika, where you said that, you know, India is not developing India. Swedish companies are interested in developing India. My question to you is, to all of you is, 
Sure, there is an opportunity, but there is a huge complexity. Are you ready for that? Are you prepared? Is Sweden prepared to actually work through that? And do you really, are you ready to sustain businesses that will take much longer to actually become a reality because of the complexities in the system and a large market, 2 billion for 1.3 billion? I mean, is that, are you ready? Do you know what you're going to do with it? Do you know how, where, what? Hmm. Is that a question? Yes, yeah. it's a question. <laughs> do you know? So, yes. Are you ready? No, we don't know exactly right now, but I think you, you made a very good point uh, by saying that uh, each sector has its specific problems. So you need to make it, you, you need to make a success of each sector offer. Uh, and that, it takes a little while. I mean, we have been preparing in Sweden longer than Japan and France. They have adopted a city. We have been sort of thinking uh, for too long. But we have also, I think, um, I think we have a plan. In Pimpri, we have a plan. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have some financing issues that mm -hmm. maybe Bank could help us with. Mm -hmm. Could you? <laughs> yeah, excellent. We talk, talk about that. Uh, but uh, the thing is that uh, uh, we need to act uh, quite soon. Uh, I, we know that uh, India is, is not waiting. The, the things are happening quite fast in India. We see, see uh, when they're doing sort of, sort of uh, renewable energy projects, they do it fast. Uh, they do it quite, quite uh, sort of uh, cost efficient. And it happens. So we need to mobilize together. Uh, I think we have done some home lesson, but uh, next year we need to act. Mm. <laughs> I, I think that um, you need to have a business case, of course, or mm. companies mm. need to have business case. And you have smaller companies where you enter just one or two persons into the um, high t the tech sector, for example. Uh, maybe you don't need land, you don't need uh, staff, you don't need, uh, you just need a one-man office sitting in a cafeteria, and that's one thing. Then you have the, the, the present companies that have been present there for more than 100 years, and they are, of course, there to stay. And the question is whether they find the, the, the right, right business model, because India is ra rather protected. Uh, so when you try, when you get, when if, if your business is based on uh, doing um, high high quality bearings, for example, and you need some specific steel for that, and maybe the steel sector is protected. Of course, you, the business case is less uh, profitable, and you have to find other ways. You have to source locally, and then there are uh, if you source locally, you need to know from what state you need to source and what cost that is inherited to that because there are, uh, so far uh, uh, there are some uh, import substitution uh, hinders. Uh, so you need also within India, I mean, uh, that is improving uh, thanks to the GST, uh, the general sales and, and tax. Uh, so that has been, um, it, it's been being um, harmonized among the states as we heard before. So that will improve and help uh, uh, help the companies to find a business case. But on the other hand, um, I think when you look at the problems, as I said, in the, in the local banking sectors, where not even the local banks wants to put money put money uh, in force for project risk, um, it, it it you have to be uh, you have to have uh, staying power. You have to have a lot of money in the coffins to be able to finance the project yourself and or the pre studies or whatever you do. So um, this will take time, as we always say. I mean, in Sweden, the banking crisis took 10 years, and I think that India is just in the beginning of a so-called banking crisis, a total remodulation of the, of the banking sector, privatizations and, and uh, possibly closure of banks. So, um, yeah. Before you say something, Ulrika, I have a question specifically for you, building on what I just asked. What is it going to take for in Sweden to influence that the challenges actually become opportunities. Because there is, when we say Sweden ready, it's ready to both do businesses, finance, and all of that. But it has to also be ready to turn the challenges into opportunities. And you work uh, with very closely with the states. What is that going to be? That's my last question. Mm, well, first, on your first question, we don't really have a choice. No. We have to be present, mm -hmm. uh, because the future is in Asia. It's in India, it's in China, it's in Thailand, Indonesia, and so forth. So uh, I don't see th that we have a choice. Um, I mean, um, as I pointed out earlier, certain states are easier to work with and 
sort of get a good resonance and a good dialogue with. Uh, obviously, those who feel that they need to be loyal to the center, mm. or because they have a positive experience of Sweden. Mm. Uh, so I feel that what is now remaining from this whole reform agenda that has been implementing during Modi's era is, of course, an, an, the, a reform of the Indian civil service. Uh, which, where the, the, in your report you're looking for the driver, the local driver of change. I mean, sometimes it's the chief minister. Sometimes it happens to be the mayor. And of course, the more contacts and e good experiences that we manages to bring to these people, uh, the more influence we have. Uh, but I'm, I'm really looking for this big mega reform where you stop moving administrative people between the states. You move them every three years. Just by the time they've started to understand what the local challenges are, they're being moved. I mean, it's a, prevent, it's a complex system because, of course, they're moving them to prevent them from be becoming corrupt and building empires. At the same time that when we see that some of them manage to stay on, we actually make a lot of progress. So this is, the, and I think we have some experiences to share. And this is also one of those issues that the EU can come in and, and sort of discuss what does a civil service look like? Uh, we have been building one on a, for 20, well, 28 states. India is 29. So, I mean, there is a lot of exchanges that can be done. Um, also, lastly, I wanted to point out that we have a joint action plan also between Sweden and India. And uh, it covers a number of areas. Smart cities is one. But I wanted to particularly highlight um, the untapped resource of women. Uh, because India sort of stands out uh, compared to other international, in international uh, studies. Um, if you look at female participation in the labor force, Sweden stands at about 86%, China at 63%, India at 25%. It means you have a lot of girls who who sort of are giving first education, they go to higher education, they even get PhDs, and then they go home. They marry, and they settled, they, and they for, uh, found a family, and they don't enter the workforce. So there you have a sort of classic example of untapped resource, untapped growth, because of course if they were to join the labor force, the GDP of India could increase with 60% very easily. So what we have done is, together with the Swedish companies, and again in Pune, we have launched a pilot project where we're actually skilling women from underprivileged areas to bring them into the workforce. So on tw 12th of June, I had the first graduating 15 uh, forklift drivers coming in, and they are already, not only are they educated, and the standards were set by the Swedish company, so it's basically EU standards that they have been skilled to, and they will now do an internship in Swedish companies, but all of them had a job offer, and not from the Swedish companies, from the Indian companies. So when they're finished, they're all gonna be recruited, and one of the ladies said to me, um, had I known one year ago that I would have been skilled and employed one year down the road, I would not have believed it. Thank you. Before we wrap up, uh, questions from the audience for our very esteemed panel. Yes, Shada. In 
India itself is a huge market, but I was wondering, in any way, are you thinking of the bigger South Asian market if one day uh, barriers do come down between Pakistan, Bangladesh, India, and you have a South Asia free trade area? I mean, is that something that companies like yours would would encourage? Uh, and would that bring something new into the dynamics of your presence in India? Uh, since I have served in Pakistan, I think that was regional integration was something we really tried to push, SARC. Because we, obviously, if we can have regional integration between Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Bhutan, we have a bigger market than China. So of course, I mean, the, the long-term vision has to be that we will get some sort, well, maybe not the EU, but the EU can serve as an inspiring, an inspiration. And obviously they have common problems. One of them we touched upon during your panel, water. I mean, obviously you need water management. The Himalayas is right now, you know, absolving them from actually taking these issues seriously. But we see the, gla uh, the glaciers are melting. I, I can uh, take that from the industry side because I think what's fast developing is India's becoming the hub for this region because Make in India is uh, being leveraged, which also opens the opportunity for exports. So I would say five out of seven of my clients actually see India as the hub for South Asia. Many times also the market that exports to China because there is always uh, the translation of the innovation on a local level is one of the, the challenges that they see when they go into China. So instead of manufacturing in China, to actually deliver to China is one thing that companies are now evaluating. So I think uh, you said the tiger and the elephant. The elephant is moving now, and it's kind of a, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic. There are companies that are now decentralizing and actually taking, uh, uh, allowing for uh, businesses to grow out of India. So that's... And I think that India, yeah. India needs to improve its uh, logistics within the country to be able to export and import, of course. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, very up on, the, uh, high up on the agenda. And I think uh, as long as they have not done that, I don't think there's a real uh, drive for, for interaction between the, the, the South Asian countries. But of course, many of the head offices are based in India. Uh, marketing and treasury uh, departments of uh, corporates so uh, I don't see, if you talk to people in Bangladesh, for example, they don't see really big hindrance for trading with India, of course, and vice versa. But uh, and India and Pakistan has a little bit <laughs> further to go. A great relationship. <laughs> but as you say, Bhutan. Yeah. Uh, and also don't forget that China is really uh, taking, putting down its <laughs> the space here. So they, they, that's really... It should be higher up on the agenda to do that. We have a signal that we have to uh, give back the premises. So uh, thank you so much. And thank you to a great audience. And please don't leave without picking up a copy of the report. We hope you enjoy it. We have our details at the back. Please come back to us if you have opinions, inputs, uh, wh whatever you would like to share with us on the report. Thank you so much. Find us on www.ui.se. We are also on Facebook and on Twitter with UI Sweden. And we're also on YouTube, where you can watch all our seminars and interviews. Catch you later.